Untie them Jesus jammies and crack open an ice-cold Pele Ale. You're listening to Polygonometry. This is the only podcast that is about family, but shouldn't be played for the whole family. Basically, I sit down with people of the fam bam to chat about what it's like growing up in polygamy. And if you're one of those people who have listened to or heard of this podcast and thought to yourself, so Chris thinks he can do a podcast. Well, who does he think he is talking about polygamy so openly? He doesn't even have more than one mom, and even though he has clearly acknowledged my view in episode zero, I'm still going to refuse to listen to the show because of an instilled fear since my youth of talking about our lifestyle in the open, even though none of the actions of the people who have gone public interfere with my life in any way. So I don't have much of an argument other than I'm in desperate need of a hug, but my deeply rooted sense of masculinity has gone toxic, and all I want to do is be loved and cherished and cared for, but can't register that nobody loves me if I'm hateful, so why does that make me mad to know that Chris is doing the podcast and who in their right mind would raise such an asshole? Then you're going to be over the moon that the guest on the show this week is the woman who was responsible for my sustenance until I tasted formula, the... The woman who raised me to be the man I am today. <laughs> the woman who always says J.C. Penney's and Barnes and Nobles, even though it is clearly not pluralized. My one, only, singular, isolated, can never be replaced, best there ever was, and I don't even know how to comprehend life without her. My hero, my only mom. Polygonometry. Okay, do you have a subject for me? See, I'm not really good at. <clears throat> at least you got to start me out on something. Okay, so. You, I'm I sure think, you have lots of thoughts. Yeah, I do. Um, okay. I think something that's interesting about your specific situation is that you converted to polygamy before. Or no, after the mass influx of people from like John Ray and that kind of stuff. Like Grandpa came in and. Like, I want to know what that was like from your perspective of growing up LDS and then converting to polygamy. And what okay, that was so like when you, you talk about the John Ray days, kind of, is what you're ta- referring to, that was the old, um, kind of the late, I think it was like the late 70s, early 80s time frame that he was there. Because mm-hmm. if you remember the conversations that have been said about how John Ray wouldn't let Christmas happen and stuff like that in Pinesville. Yeah. Okay. So that was then, and I think that was, like I said, the late late 70s, early 80s. And then there was nobody that came in the group for a very, very, very long time. And then Dad came into the group. So you want to know what it was like for me to come into the group? And just like your thoughts and opinions about it and then what that was like for you. Okay. Well, there was this, what do you call um, excitement with a new family in the group because they hadn't had an entire family. They'd get a man or they'd get well, maybe an occasional woman that would come into the group or things like that, but they would mm-hmm. never get an entire family. And we were a family of, well, eligible, marriageable <laughs> when... young people as well. Yeah, and... I'm more than likely, I mean, I'm definitely going to talk to grandpa about this, but um, I just think it's interesting that, because how old were you when you officially kind of came into the AUB? Um, I was 15. 15, okay. When so I was baptized. Means, so your older brother was how old? So then that would have put um, 17 and 19. 17, 20, 19, 15. 19-ish, 20. Okay, so you're all like, you know, young adults essentially. Yeah. Okay. So then you all was already yeah. hooked up pretty seriously. And then the other one wasn't, but got plenty. And <laughs> yeah. and then, yeah. And so, and then me being the only girl in the family that made it awkward. In what way? Well, because every horny old man was out there looking at me. <laughs> I, Going after you. I didn't like horny old men. It was disgusting. And yeah. very nice men, married men as well. Very decent 
married men as well. But it sounds like that that was never off the table. No, because you come into the group and, well, okay, so back up. So dad does the whole, you know, higher law, blah, blah, blah. Kelly, you're going to be a plural wife. In my brain, I'm thinking, hell no. Yeah. I'm never sharing my. (laughs) Heck no. (laughs) I'm never sharing my man kind of a thing. And then he made, I remember very specifically sitting at the table and we were living in North Bend at the time. And. He's telling us about this, and he described it to me as being the um, head chicken in the flock. You know, there's a pecking order with chickens, and we always had chickens. Mm-hmm. And and so I imagined myself as the the head of the flock, you know, because okay. I'm just imagining all these chickens in my brain, because sure. that's how Dad's describing it okay. to me, that I'm going to be the, the head of the pecking order. In regards to, like... Polygamy. Okay. So, you're so gonna he's be... telling me that someday I will live polygamy. Okay. And he told me to pretty much imagine it like as if I was the head, the the top hen in the in the flock. Okay. And then there's one rooster. Mm-hmm. But I will be the head hen. So you're because Grandpa so, was like your first wife material. Well, I don't know that he was thinking so much first <laughs> wife material, but I think he knew my personality. Well, I know he knows my personality, and he knew it very well then as well. That you know, if I was going to live that way, then I yeah. would have to be in control of my situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, all I could imagine was this rooster and this bunch of women and all of us are fighting all the time and all these little teeny tiny baby chicks everywhere. And it did not even one bit sound appealing to me in any way, shape or form. I could and that not, was when you were 14. That was when I was 14, 15, late 13, maybe, maybe 14 because it took about a year or so. I mean, there was a lot of converting time mm-hmm. and then, Yeah. So probably 14. And I was like, I don't know what my dad's smoking, but whatever. We'll just go with it. Because it was also scary thinking of your family changing and leaving the group, leaving the church and everything you ever knew. So, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't an easy transition. And yeah, we played the game, you know, the conversion game and stuff. Because then grandpa picked up two more wives. And Uh so how far after did or how so, far after the conversion did Grandpa pick Dad up? and um, his second wife, they got together probably within about a year, I want to Within think. a year of the conversion? Uh-huh. Okay. I want to think so. And then number three came along, well, same time that Dad and I got married. Okay. It was the same year. I mean, we got married. So you and Dad got married at the same time that Grandpa and his third wife got married? Yes. Okay. So they got married in June, and we got married in December of the same year. Oh, wow. So that one took longer. Yeah. No. So, yeah. So, no, joining the group wasn't wasn't easy by any stretch, but it wasn't hard either because it was change in our family was a common occurrence with as many times as we moved and different things like that. So you're living in Washington, D.C., San Diego, all these other places. Oh, yeah. From the East Coast to the West Coast to the North to the south, to the north, to the south, and back up to the north again. Yeah. All along the, between dad so working how many, on the borders. how many times did you guys move? I remember you telling um, me. I want to think, mom and I sat down and we counted it from the time that um, mom and dad got married to the time that I got married. I think we counted mom and dad had moved 43 different times. Oh my goodness. But then from the time that I was born to the time that I got married, I think it was like 20, 22, 23 times. So you moved 23 times when you were a kid, basically. Something like that. Yeah. Well, because the first move was from yeah. D.C. to to Seattle. And then Dad got set up down in San Diego and then moved Mom and us from Seattle down to San Diego. And then in San Diego, I mean, I remember living in um, a handful of houses. And that was before I was in kindergarten. Wow. So, I mean, before I was even a year old, I I think I we moved two or three times and so were was all the moves basically to help with grandpa's jobs whatever i think that mom and dad um rent they rented a lot of houses and they only bought a few houses but i think it was financial you know it was like oh here's a really good deal on a house let's go live in this house wait a minute you know Mm. now we have another baby in the process so we need a bigger place or you know because when dad worked on the border then it was it was there but also you know you got to 
the neighborhoods in which we lived in, well, you remember when we went down to Imperial Beach, mm-hmm. the house that we lived in had bars on the windows. We drove past it to go to the grocery yep. store. Yep. Well, when we lived there, that was not that, that area was middle class. It wasn't bars on the window class. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, but I don't think it was, I think it was more financial than it was um, moving because of jobs. Okay. Yeah, just better financial situation depending on the family. Yeah, what and, and yeah, and mom was well. Dad's a what do they call them? nomads? <laughs> yeah, he is very nomadic. <laughs> not anymore, but no, not anymore. He's, he's not. He's no. stuck now. <laughs> no, he very much doesn't like to go anywhere anymore. So, yeah, okay. no. So converting to the group was it wasn't hard, but it wasn't easy. And um, so was it the, the the way that it's what you said of like it wasn't that hard. It sounds because like you guys were LDS. And then converting from the LDS, mainstream LDS church, to the AUB, it was just like a little bit more of an intense form of Mormonism? No, it was old-fashioned Mormonism. Yeah. It was stepping back in time. But there wasn't hardly anything that was different. I mean, sacrament meetings were all the same. Hymn books, well, the group has the hymn books that came out of the temple from Seattle. Was that from Grandpa? Yeah. Because they were, because the church changed over from the old hymn books to the new hymn books, and then Mm -hmm. there's all these hymn books, and so... Mom and dad, you know, don't like to throw things away very well. And they're like, there's got to be a use for these. And so then we were coming into the group at the time and the group needed just some new, some more hymn books because theirs had just gotten so old. And so they, um, dad offered to, to bring them. So he brought them home and stuck them underneath my bed. And so I had boxes and boxes of hymn books sitting underneath our bed. Anyways, so yeah, no, so church was just an older version of like, I think when one of mom's sisters, a couple of mom's sisters came and went to church because they were very upset and curious and needing to have some explanation. So they came to church and... And they were, they grew up LDS, but wanted to see... Well, yeah, they wanted to yeah. know what mom had gotten herself into. So mm-hmm. they came and went to church and they and said that... was that here it, in Pinesdale? Yeah, it was here in Pinesdale. Yeah. And they said that, um, they talked about it later and they said that it was a lot like going to church in the late fifties, early sixties is what it felt like oh, to them. okay. The way the the chapel felt, the way you know that, just everything about it. Mm-hmm. And um, but the thing is, is for me being an '80s girl coming into the group, and going from the church to the group, it wasn't that much difference. It yeah. was just the clothes that people wore were a little bit more dated because they were not as poor, and there wasn't as much, you know, the congregation was bigger because it's a larger chapel. Mm-hmm. You know, so it wasn't anything. To me, it wasn't anything that hard of an adjustment because it was so very similar. Mm-hmm. So so that's when I say it was easy. That was what the easy part was. The hard part was the shunning that happened from the family and the um, changing schools and having to make a new friend base. Again, for the Again, 45th time. <laughs> yes, because, well, when dad moved, when dad moved us into the, into the Snoqualmie Valley... I mean, you. it was three different schools that all went to the same school, or three different towns that went all to the same school. You know, Snoqualmie, Fall City, and North Bend, we all, except for Fall City, well, elementary schools we didn't, but high school, junior high and high schools, we all congregated. And so mm-hmm. those... It was those, all at Mount Si, right? Yeah. 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 And the middle school, Snoqualmie Middle School, and, okay. you know, places like that. So we all went to, to our junior high and high school years together. And so those kids that you've known since you were, doesn't matter how many times we moved around in the valley there all the different houses, we all, I, I, I got to go to school in both Snoqualmie and North Bend as a child in those elementary years. And so I got to make friends from both. So when it came time to go to junior high and high school, I already had a friend base Mm -hmm. that I've known since I was a little tiny. So then leaving that and coming to, um, Salt Lake where the school alone, high school could have fit three of Mount Si's in them, not Mount Si now, but But, Mount Si then was about the size of Bingham Bingham High. Yeah was about the size of Corvallis when dad graduated from Corvallis. It was a lot smaller. Tiny. It was a lot smaller. 250 kids total. No, it was more than that. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was more than that. For some reason, I thought it was smaller. But no, North or Mount Si was a small, small town school. And so the adjustment for me was not so much the religious part of it as it was the um, leaving school as at the end of my freshman year and not having um, a friend base to come to so the social part was the tough one the social part was the very tough part yeah yeah no i didn't have high school okay so high school sucked yeah (laughs) i mean up up until then school was great but 
no after coming because Bingham was great, but I also moved in from a non-Mormon um, driven environment to the most Mormon driven environment ever. And Mormons, <laughs> bless their hearts. They, <laughs> they don't think that they're different, but they're very different. Well, some of them know that they're different, but. No. I was told one time that anytime you say bless their hearts, it's just basically calling them stupid. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because you, anytime you call anybody or you preface it with bless their hearts, you're going to say something snarky about them no matter what. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, no. And then also the, um, I always, well, when we were getting ready to move to Utah, I always thought, oh my gosh, I get to go mingle with those Utah Mormons because we'd sit down and that was like the coolest thing ever was to be a Utah Mormon. Because Utah Mormons were high class Mormons. Well, they are. Oh, they're the top gosh. of the ladder when it comes to Mormons. And so, being a little Mormon girl from a little podunk town in Washington State, and you'd sit and watch General Conference and all those things, and these beautiful girls would get up and sing with the Tabernacle Choir, and their hair was always perfect, and they always wore perfect clothes, and their makeup was amazing, and mm-hmm. and that was like the idol of what you wanted to be someday was to be that kind of a Mormon, to look like that kind of a Mormon. And and I were in the U-Haul. Yeah, I mean, it was like the poster child type of, I mean, you could like take a snapshot and like if you were to say, oh, this is what Mormons look like, it would be a Mormon or Utah version of Mormonism. Well, this this image, yes, yeah. there's a very much of an image. Yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. that, that I think is, it's still there. Still no, it was in, absolutely there. Yeah. In so, public. and so the only thing I ever, this is, you know, before internet and you can, can't Google stuff. So you're based off of anything, any picture books or anything about what Utah was for me was all through the eyes of the LDS church. Okay. And what the LDS church wanted everyone else to see about them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so we're driving into Utah Valley and and I are in the U-Haul together and I'm like dying to see the temple. I just like, you know, cause it's supposed to be this huge pillar that stands out in the Valley mm-hmm. and I just could not find it anywhere. And it was the most horrible looking city in the whole wide world. And I'm used to Seattle where it's, you got trees growing in the downtown and the highways or the interstates got Ivy flowing over the sides of the, well, you've seen it, you mm-hmm. know, overpasses yeah. and everything. And it's green everywhere. And we drive into Utah and it's this disgusting desert <laughs> hole <laughs> i'm just like can't believe i this is this is it yeah. this is the place i don't think so <laughs> shut up brigham young this isn't the place I don't, this I don't place know what sucks. you were thinking when you decided this was the place but <laughs> anyways and so then you get there and not too long after we got settled in and got going to the high school and everything some of the um worst treatment i'd ever received was from because you were an outsider. Well, yeah, I was an outsider. And I went to seminary and everything because it was important to me to finish seminary. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't because credits didn't change over, so I didn't get to graduate from seminary. But because I wasn't active, and even though I tried to kind of balance both worlds, it didn't matter. You're an outsider. Yeah. And it didn't, didn't, didn't feel too hot. So, no, so, so that was the hard part. The religious part of it just didn't make, didn't, wasn't any different because dad always taught us that polygamy was in the history of our, um, of our culture, the Mormon culture. Mm-hmm. And even as a young girl, even at church, whether people will agree with this or not, Mormons, that they did teach that if the prophet brought back polygamy, then you would have to live it someday because mm-hmm. it was. It's part of, I mean, that's what they teach. Like, I remember like when I was investigating the church, you know, when I was a teenager, like the fact that I had the last name Jessup going down to the ward house and it was kind of this novelty thing because I was, you know, I wasn't the first by any means, but I was part of the leading charge in, you know, Piney's converting to Mormonism or at least investigating um, with Jared and, and the other people. But um, I remember sitting in, in class and a member of the bishopric at the time talked about polygamy and how that's how I can't remember in so many words but basically he was alluding to the fact that it's in Mormon dogma that when you live in heaven with God you are going to be living polygamy but we don't live it here on earth now but if the prophet decided to bring it back then we'd have to just conform Mm -hmm. yeah no yeah that's exactly right it's really interesting too because I mean polygamy was banned or abolished or whatever you know in the late 1800s and 
I've never seen a religion run so far away from their own past in regards to what they used to believe. I know it. Than Mormonism. I know. I know. I've you see you see so much once you're out of it. You really outside looking in is a totally different view yeah. than when you're inside living it because you can't really you're not in touch with what other people are seeing because you're it's and that's the way it is for everything though mm-hmm. anything in life you know yeah you don't even know what's going on in your own household but everybody else can see it kind of stuff yeah it's the same thing for the church yeah you're too close to yeah so the whole polygamy concept didn't wasn't new to me it wasn't like the shocking thing that dad just sprung on us you know mm-hmm. so it was just like we're gonna go be with a group of people that never let those you know laws down but the other thing too for me was is that um god's laws never change right you would think supposedly you would think that god wouldn't change his mind but he did about black people in 1978 oh and he did about the the original garment to the street garment to what the garments are now in the church as well as the group and i just have a real problem with god's laws never change but unless it's for the convenience of the people involved and that's to me where I can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it's not God's laws anymore. No, it's man's laws. And it's the conveniences. And to me, strictly, I can't be a part of an organization that does that. Yeah. There's just too many things that I can't do anymore. Now, it's shaped who I am today, and I am very grateful for it. And I love the church, and I love what it did for for our family and I love the family that I have that is in the church. There's, you know, and that's who they are. And I totally respect that. And I feel like if there's, you know, I don't care what religion you are, you know, if it makes you happy, then be it. And if you want to be a Mormon, be a Mormon and be your best Mormon you can be. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't honestly don't mind, but I can't be a part of an organization that is so secretive either. You know, that, that to me is just, there's just too many secrets, too many, too many things you do that... To go against what you like, what me they as say. a human, yeah, me personally, my own, my own DNA makeup cannot do some of Those these things. things. You, you you don't see the benefit of participating because it goes against who you are. It goes against who I am as an individual. Yeah, yeah. So that's okay. how it is for me. That makes sense. But yeah, no, that's that's definitely something that has been part as like my development. And <laughs> I mean, there's so much that went in, went into how I ended up where I am in regards to the question of God and, and all that craziness that's involved with it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so then you knew from when you were a kid that you were going to be a chicken at some point. <laughs> 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 um, but you were like, you never held, cause I, from what I remember is that you and dad, there was no shortage of, young women who wanted to be part of our family oh god no it was <laughs> awful <laughs> if you're willing to go there i would love to talk so to you about dad <laughs> dad being dad's personality and everything um this is my dad your, your dad okay your dad my dad are you wanting to talk about grandpa no, i'm you talking got... about dad okay my dad your husband <laughs> i got it <laughs> <laughs> okay yes no, dad and I being very involved in the youth and everything that we were, um, and outgoing and we give everything a hundred million percent is mm-hmm. what we do. Yep. And then dad also being a school teacher. Well, when his first class uh, graduated from high school is when, well, a little bit before then is when all. It's like late nineties. No. Right. Cause he started teaching in like 94. Um, right? I'm trying to think about the first young lady that. Would follow him home. Follow him home? He'd follow, she'd follow him home from school and hover in the woods out behind the house and just watch dad. What? Yeah. And then um, happened to be a cousin of his and her mom called and encouraged dad to not encourage her. And dad had no idea that she was doing what she was doing. And she had a little dad shrine at her house. And it was out of control. And so her mom, <laughs> so her mom. I just imagine this small girl with like an effigy, like the picture that every ward house has of Joseph Smith. <laughs> no, it wasn't grandpa, like. Or just no, no, it was. lazy eye. <laughs> and she's no. just candles. <laughs> that's right. No, how my brain it works. was more like, you know how dad gave nicknames. Yeah. 
um, dad had a nickname for her in particular. And so she collected anything and everything that had that nickname on it. Oh. And had a little nickname shrine, I guess is a good way to put it. Whoa. So anyways, um, dad nipped that one in the bud real fast as soon as he realized that that was going on. Dad (laughs) had no clue. Well, dad didn't have a clue about a lot of them, but, um, until they approached or their mothers approached dad about him. Meaning, hey, I want well, you to one, my daughter. One, or... one woman, young woman in particular, was never one of dad's students, but um, she was getting ready to go to college in Utah. But if there was a reason for her to stay home, she would. Oh, very heavy-handed suggestion. Very, very much so. And Jake, your dad, said she needs to go to school in Utah. <laughs> Away from me. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to move on. Yeah. And so that was another one. And then there was another one that <laughs> loved um, running. Yeah. And, um, of course, they just had a friendship there because of running and because we were in the youth and kids come over to our house all the time. And, mm-hmm. of course, dad's, you know, talking running and all this kind of stuff. And then before we know it, she's calling him up on the phone and breaking up with him that it's not going to work out. Yep. And that, <laughs> I remember that happening. <laughs> that, that was, that was fun. Dad's like, I think I just got broke up with. And I'm like, you think what in the hell was that all about? And then, um, another one used him for, um, homework purposes. Like, I'll oh, uh, get this. I need help with this assignment, mm, this essay. Just wanted some proximity. And so she was coming over a lot because she didn't have, um, her parents weren't really involved in her life, and so dad was, you know, former student. Now she's in school, and she needs this help, so she'd find herself at kind our of house a surrogate lot. father. Idea. Kind of played on that one a little bit. Yep, yep. There was How many that one. polygamous women do you think have daddy issues? I don't know. I think there's a good, <laughs> there's a huge. Amount I think there's a lot opinion. of them that have mommy issues. Well, that too, just as much as daddy issues. That's almost more inherent. I think. Yeah. Um, I I think that a lot of plural children have daddy issues. Yeah. That's my opinion. And mm-hmm. I have a dad and I had daddy issues and I wasn't a polygamous kid when I had my daddy <laughs> yeah. issues. But you yeah. combine a, a normal monogamous family with a t- child that I think all children go through mommy and daddy issues. Oh, yeah. I think you kids all did. Oh, yeah. Or, for sure. And probably still are or whatever. Yeah, they come yeah. up and they come and go throughout your entire life. Yeah. But just basing my own relationship with my dad and having daddy issues and then seeing my plural siblings now go through their adjustments with dad yeah and daddy issues is not like i mean the initial question was daddy issues in regards to like sex and the very freudian part of it but you what i what i'm hearing from you is like daddy issues meaning like there's like things that go on in your perception of your parents that's right but sexual yes exactly so as far as daddy issues with some of these young women that were pursuing your dad i think that there was a couple that looked at dad as like this male figure in their in their life that they wanted to attach themselves to and they made it sexual though they turned it into wanting to be a part of his family i've had two of the women now women call and apologize for really yeah what was that like for you to hear very awkward yeah that would be super weird no it was it was so they called you they they called me no they didn't call dad they called me one of them called and says you know i just need to apologize to you for what I did to you about with with Jake because that was not right of me and I understand now what you were going through at Whoa. the time. And okay, so she's probably going through some very similar probably situations. Probably something. Well, and I do know that a couple of these young ladies are now plural wives. They're not first wives. Oh, okay. They're plurals. And yeah, and and I appreciated it, but it was extremely awkward. And I, but I did, I truly did appreciate it because it was hell mm-hmm. for me to go through what was going on then because your dad didn't understand everything. So what in your perception was dad still like on the fence about living polygamy? Oh no, dad was 100% about living polygamy. Really? Yes. Okay. No, dad, dad believed that that was something he needed to do. And. Wait, okay. So how, cause I'm, I'm just like reaching back in my own memory of all of the women, young women that came and went across the window of our lives in mm-hmm. regards to, you know, being part of our family, mm-hmm. aka wanting to marry dad. Um, All those babysitters that ca- mm-hmm. constantly wanted to come back. Yeah. They were trying to get to know their new little children. Yeah. 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 It was really weird. Awkward. Mm-hmm. But, and then I'm, I'm trying to remember when that kind of changed to where it is now. Is when I told your dad I was going to leave him. If you got another wife. Yeah. 
When was that? That was um, not too long before Tank and I, Tank and I, before I got pregnant with Tank. Okay. Probably about a, maybe about a year before then. Before, or, a year before you got pregnant Maybe, with Tank. maybe. Okay. Sometime in that time frame. Mm-hmm. But no, I, there was one girl that was extremely persistent and her father was over the top persistent. And um, it went on for over three years, this persistence. Whoa. And I've never had the emotions of hatred towards a human being that strong in my life. And I didn't like that feeling. More the, more towards that woman. That woman. Oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I was like, I can't do this. And it was so morally wrong for her to be pursuing a married man. That was just like yeah. not cool. And but for her, it was just what you did. And well, if for you her, really that was the way to... she was conditioned and trained, and and it didn't matter if the man didn't love her. Yeah, and it would come perception... eventually. Love would come eventually. Oh, <laughs> and that really pisses me off because every woman deserves to have a man that's hopelessly in love with her when they get married. Yeah, absolutely, and every man should feel this, have the same thing yeah. coming back at him. So it sounded like Dad was struggling as well because he was hopelessly in love with you. But then, Dad didn't love her, and he knew he didn't love yeah, her. Yeah, he didn't he love this woman. He said it would come later. You know, it was like, that's yeah. just how it happens, you know? So Dad was also in the same boat of being super conditioned to believe this way and everything well, yeah. else, too, and wrestling yep. with that. Yes, and he was wrestling with it, big time. Yeah. But there was just so many red flags about this one person in particular that as much as we'd been taught and trained, and I had pre- been pretending for so many years while being in the group that this is what I was going to do someday. I was going to be the good wife, and I was going to let my husband have all these women and, mm-hmm. you know, excuse me, um, rank the status, you know, in plural life. And mm-hmm. when it came down to it, then it, I, I hated the way I felt inside, and I could not, even for one minute, even give into the oppor- the the opportunity give into the idea that I would have to live and feel like this for the rest of my life and that my rewards oh. in heaven yeah uh-uh if this is how <laughs> I have to live for the rest of my life in order to get the rewards to get in to heaven. the rewards in heaven then I don't want that heaven that's not the heaven I want to go to so I'll just soon go to hell yeah or the third degree <laughs> of the you know whatever I don't care Mm-hmm. I don't need the first degree of the celestial kingdom. I don't need the telestial. I don't need to, I don't need outer darkness. I don't need any of that shit. Mm-hmm. I just don't want it. <laughs> I didn't so, want it. Did you know that the Wasatch Brewery has a beer called Outer Darkness? Oh, then I need some. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this Huckleberry honey is pretty good right now, but yeah. <laughs> Outer Darkness might be the best. <laughs> I think not, I might be wrong about it, but I think it's the same people who brew Polygamy Porter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is amazing. It's actually yeah. a pretty decent beer as well, but um, yeah, I think it's like one of their highest alcohol content beers. You took us to that brewery when we were down there that one time. Yep. Yeah, that yeah. was good. Yeah, it's good food there. Yeah, no, so so what happened with Dad and I was pretty much this. It was getting pretty intense, and I knew exactly how I felt, and my deal was this. It was you kids. It was, I cannot raise my children. I cannot I cannot let my sons think that this is an okay behavior. My son, because I wasn't pregnant with Tank yet. Yeah, so me. And I was like, I cannot let Christopher think that for one minute that that he can marry a woman without completely and totally loving her unconditionally without any anything and mm-hmm. and then I could not allow my daughters to be raised in a situation that they had to feel like I was feeling at the time or sure. settle okay for the celestial kingdom not so uh-uh. y- yeah to be to go through hell for the rest of your life to get to the celestial kingdom or to marry a man that doesn't love you to get to the celestial kingdom and hope that someday he might love you as much as he loved his first wife when he married her mm-hmm. that I just like no yeah and so you you were wrestling with all this different stuff. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you were wanting to support dad because you loved him while also oh. wrestling with your own. Was that the well, way it was? Well, no, I didn't want to support dad and polygamy at all. Oh, okay. No, not gotcha. at all. Gotcha. But I have always and still do love your dad fiercely. Mm-hmm. But the hardest thing for me to do was love myself more than him. Gotcha. For that. Gotcha. Because I was like, if I don't love myself, then my children will be raised with that with a mom that doesn't love themselves, which is going to trickle down into this mess of And that's how you get mommy issues. And <laughs> bad mommy issues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so I stood there and I said to him, I said, If you want to marry this girl, that's fine. But you'll be marrying her as a first wife because I will not be there. 
I will not be present for the wedding. And we will have already had our divorce. And I'll never, ever deny you your children, ever, because mm-hmm. you're a good dad. And this is not out of not loving you. This is out of loving myself more and putting my children before gotcha. me in this kind of a situation. And your dad did not like to hear that. I and mean, he didn't, your dad doesn't lash out, you know, he doesn't yeah. do that kind of a thing. But I think it pretty much tore him up to where he realized at that point, then he had to make a, a decision yeah. on how he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it was a slow process for your dad. Yeah. But I think the kicker for your dad, after that, you know, it was rough. Your dad and I went through a real rough time. So you and Kelsey talking about not talking to each other. Well, that was probably accurate <laughs> during yeah. that one that one little phase of time. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk to each other. And yes, I had threatened your dad with divorce because I wasn't going to live that way. Yeah. And that that would have been the only reason is polygamy for no other reason than just that. Than just that. That was the, yeah. the only mm-hmm. thing. And then it wasn't until after Tank was born and we had moved into the new house and we got another, it was getting um, intense with this young woman. And so dad and I decided to go have a conversation with her dad. And we were standing outside the house and older siblings were in the house peeking through the windows because woohoo, they're oh, here yeah. to finally ask about her yeah. and marry her. Yeah. And the father looked at dad at one point of the conversation because dad had said, you know, you need to tell your daughter this is done and this is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he looked at dad and he said, you know, you don't have to have her permission. And he pointed at me to do this. So he, when he said her permission, he was referring, he was referring to, to me and he pointed at me and dad looked at me and he looked at this man and he said, so you're telling me that my wife and my children are expendable. And he said, yes. And then dad looked at me and he says, do you have anything to say to this man? I was so pissed. I was so angry. I looked at that man and I looked at dad and I said, I have nothing to say to this man at all. And dad looked at him again and he said, we're done here. And this will never happen between your daughter and I ever will this happen. Wow. And then I think it was a Sunday, one or two Sundays later, he got up and blasted dad in sacrament meeting about how there's a man in the community that no man should trust. <laughs> yeah, blah, 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 blah. Even though he was the even most though, trusted man. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though he was a school teacher and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, and a year later after that all went down. Yeah. I'm outside in the garden and he shows up for some reason. I don't know what. He walks across. The, the, the father the of, father this, of okay. this, this young woman. and. I'm out in the garden doing something. I can't remember being in the garden, obviously. And he comes walking over the lawn, and I'm like, oh, shit, I have to talk to him. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Am I not supposed to cuss? You, no, I'm just oh. referencing how funny it is that <laughs> now we swear when Mormons can't because uh, somehow it's bad. Oh, Mormons cuss. Well, they say I've that got they some, don't. I know, but I've, you are actually related to a lot of really good cussing Mormons that actually are good Mormons. Well, yeah, I mean... Um, but anyways. anyway, okay, so <laughs> it's, it's a stupid joke. It's a joke. Okay, Mormons don't have ever. Yeah, they don't. Um, quote unquote. Anyway, so he's walking across the lawn, and I just am like, "All right, here we go. What's he going to tell me now?" Oh you fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I hate that word. <laughs> anyways, so um, he came up to me and he apologized. Really? And he said, "I just feel like I owe you an apology for some things that I have said to you that were out of line." And I just hope you can accept my apology. Wow. And I was like, okay, I don't know that I can accept his apology. I don't know that I can. Because he pretty much told my husband that I was worthless. Yeah. And that my children meant nothing. Yeah. And that their little plural God and their little plural world and their little Mormon lifestyle is more important than. And so I just looked at him and smiled and didn't say anything. And he walked away. And then he pulled dad out of church one day at a sacrament meeting, just as we're all ready to sit down for sacrament meeting. And he pulls him to the back and he asked dad again if he would consider marrying his daughter. What an asshat. And so then the young woman comes over to the house. We're living in the big house and she's sobbing. She's crying. Why won't you guys love me? You know, why, why, why? And I looked at her and I said, you deserve so much better than this. You do. Yeah. You don't deserve Jake. You don't deserve me. You don't deserve people who don't love you. So, you know, we're not going to marry you out of pity or out of sympathy or out of obligation to God. Yeah. You know? Wow. Don't settle. Yeah. And so I turned it around because I had no other way to tell her. She wasn't hearing anything else. But she wasn't hearing it. And she ended up getting married. And I think she's happy. I don't know. But she's 
she's called and apologized too for all of uh, that. Okay. So. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. No. Such so that was that was the one that was that was the situation that turned the tides for dad. So that whole well, thing, part of it. It was. It was. It sounded like it was a pretty significant. It was chunk a significant for dad, but you'd have to ask dad to tell you the, his story. But that I'll that was a huge turn in our relationship. But then you, there could be five million podcasts about the many different dynamics of me leaving the group, mm-hmm. as well as not wanting to go back to the church because of the different things that have gone down because of. What people believed and how they tried. Well, because to... of what happened with our family and what happened with just different, just different stuff mm-hmm. that continual, tr- continually trickled towards me saying, uh-uh. "This is all just a bunch of BS." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, so, I I remember you telling me that story before, and yeah, it's just so crazy to think that there are people out there that are so entrenched in their belief system that they are willing to compromise their own happiness for salvation. I know. It's ridiculous. It's heartbreaking. No, it's it is absolutely heartbreaking and and I don't believe that you know that you have to be in pain here to gain happiness there to gain rewards, you know. The mm-hmm. sacrifices you make here are, are going to become gems. Yeah. And and I'm like, "No, why can't you be happy here?" You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you get faced with unfortunate situations and you get faced with trials and tribulations, but yeah. you don't, doesn't mean that you have to, if you're not happy, then get out of your unhappiness. Yeah. You're not a tree. You can mm-hmm. move. Mm-hmm. Do and something I, about it. I don't, I mean, I get the whole comment, you know, bloom where you've been planted. Yeah. Well, the soil gets kind of worn out and loses its nutrients every so often. You need to be uprooted and you need to go get planted somewhere else. And also sometimes when you bloom, you're not that pretty. (laughs) No, that manure that they're putting on that. (laughs) Yeah. If you're, if you're growing in shitty soil, then you're probably not going to be that healthy of a flower anyway. Mm -mm. So if you have the ability to go somewhere else, then definitely do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. So no. So that, as far as that, that topic is concerned, then no, the whole polygamy thing wasn't mine from the get go. And I never believed in it. And it took this specific situation with this specific young woman to really solidify that with me. Hammer at home. Yeah. Because it was just a lot of pretending. I was like, oh yes. Even in the church. Oh yeah. If the prophet ever came and said, Kelly, you and your husband will live polygamy someday and it'll be the most beautiful thing you ever do. Yes. Yes. Prophet. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So it sounds like you're saving face. I mean, I remember just so much. Constant. <laughs> I remember like Sunday afternoons when we're like waking up at like 10 and then having breakfast and then everyone's getting back from church, but they needed something from us. And I remember you jumping up the stairs to go put on some long sleeves and sweatpants. Oh, after I'd taken off my garments? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I didn't want to get your dad in trouble because he was still involved with the school yeah and and i didn't want to jeopardize his his situation and (laughs) i I hate those things they're just so yeah so did you take off your garments before that situation with that young woman and her dad um it sounds like that happened before you took off the garments right oh yeah that was all before the garments okay no the garments thing is is a whole nother game um topic but the garments for me, um, I struggled with from the get-go because I was raised with the temple garment that my parents wore and was accustomed to what they looked like and how they were and, and everything. And the short sleeve mm-hmm. ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then when we come in the group, um, mom and dad being temple workers and everything like that, then I just was flat out honest. I just was like, mom, be honest with me and dad, you know. These are the church or the, the church garments, the um, polygamy garments, if you want to call it the mm-hmm. priesthood. That's yeah. the term, priesthood garments. And are they the same? And mom very specifically said, Kelly, when your dad and I got married back in the 60s, they had a temple garment. And that was the ones that. And when you went to the temple, what the polygamists right? are wearing now are the old-fashioned temple garments from the LDS in the 60s. So this is how mom explained it to me, that when they got married, that what they would do is you'd go to the temple and you would wear the temple garment for the ceremony. Mm -hmm. But then when you left the temple, the temple garment stayed there and you were issued street garments. 
And that's the short sleeved mm-hmm. ones. The magic underwear. <laughs> the Jesus jammies. <laughs> All of those terms. <laughs> the many. Ugh. I remember when I was investigating the church, uh, there was like an entire priesthood lesson in whatever quorum I was kind of a part of because I wasn't baptized into the church. But they were talking about how offensive it was to call garments Jesus jammies. And I was laughing the whole time (laughs) and like giggling to myself and trying to like stifle my laughter because I just thought it was a really funny term to call garments. You know, it is funny. And, (laughs) and, you know, and credit to the people who take everything in life so seriously, you know, because I have a tendency to do that sometimes too much. And because you just, oh, don't make light of a situation or don't be. It's too sacred. Yeah. There's certain things that you just don't make light of and all that kind of stuff. And some mm-hmm. people are more hardcore with that and others aren't. doesn't matter if you're LDS or if you're AUB or what yeah. what have you, mm-hmm. you know. Anyways and stuff. So I don't ever remember my parents ever making a big issue about, you're just garments, you're just your underwear, you know. It yeah. just wasn't anything. It was never a big deal. So to make fun of funny comments like Jesus jammies, to yeah. me, it was just never a big deal. So I didn't ever cut you guys down. Yeah. For, and that was me. That was my upbringing in the church, not my upbringing in the group. Yeah. You know, that based that. So, no, my big issue with the garments was how the group got the garments. That was okay. my biggest issue because they stole them. They stole them from the church. Yeah. They were not, um, it was, there was no revelation. At all. But that's what they said it was. But what, the group said that it was this revelation, right? Am, um, I, am I accurate with that? Yeah, there's some sort of a decision that was made through thoughtful prayer and blah, 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 that they needed to obtain the endowment and all that kind of and stuff. That's and that's where grandpa's affiliation with the temple comes in, right? Um, No. No? No, that wasn't. Oh, okay. No, that wasn't until the the garment came to the in, to the AUB in the early early eighties. Oh, I think it okay. was actually in like eighty or eighty one. Okay, and that was long before we came in the group. Mm-hmm. No, they um, there was a lot of members of the group that had gone to the temple and because they were members of the church and they had been married in the temple and they had gotten their endowments in the temple just like any other LDS person. So there was a good handful of people in the group that had their garments. Their temple the, garments. Their temple garments. And then there was a good handful of people in the group that didn't and wanted them. Mm-hmm. And they wanted the endowment so that they could be, be like the church. Yeah. They could be what they wanted Mormonism to look like. Or because what the they group considered to look like themselves the father of the church and the church is the mother the of the church. And they had the true keys to the priesthood. And so you go down that you know, need they, to feel important. Whenever they said we have the keys to the priesthood, I never knew. Like I always imagined a literal set of keys. I did too. <laughs> I, no, I actually, Grandpa D's big old fat keys, yeah. you know. And then I actually imagined the first time I remember when dad said, Brother Owen holds the keys to the priesthood, the f- true keys to the priesthood. And I'm like, and then he would describe what each of the keys were to the, to the, and I actually imagined those little kid big fat chunky like little, little tykes yes and white and green or not white yellow and green and blue yeah. yes i actually kind of imagined that that's an amazing visual to see brother owen or <laughs> lemoyne or lynn carrying around like little, you know play school yes yes exactly yes and then and then it went what, from <laughs> i really want oh i really want that to be the truth how, how amazing would it be i if hope you, like, it's the into- yellow one you know <laughs> I liked the yellow one. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, like, it would be so amazing to go into, like, the church vault, the, the one they have in the Granite Mountain. Oh, yeah. Or whatever. Not Granite Mountain. No, but, it's um, over there. In, in in the canyon up yeah. wherever, in, in Salt Lake. <laughs> Timpanogos? Like, Is the it Timpanogos? I think it's Timpanogos. Timpanogos There's caves. a few. Anyways, go ahead. Anyway, but, like, I would love to know, if this was the truth, I would convert, that the gospel's true if this is true, <laughs> is if you went into the vault and they said, yeah, here's the keys to the priesthood. And there and was it's literally. Little, little tight keys, <laughs> like hanging in like a glass box. God, uh, that would be so funny. I, I would when, love that. Yes, that would be funny. That would be hilarious. One's labeled, you know, the keys to the priesthood. And the, the gold f- plates are just literal dinner plates instead of. No, no, the gold plates is the little recorder, you know, the little plastic you're probably too young to know these um the old turntable tops where you it's a little tykes yeah and you push the button and it turns and, <laughs> and it's the got the little plates. bumps you know and yeah. a little click click clicks and <laughs> yeah. it sings a song yeah or it plays a song that's what the golden plates are <laughs> oh, that would be so awesome <laughs> no so yeah no my my issue there was that my issue with the endowment um in the 
the garments is the fact with the group is and this is how I truly believe to this day the endowments were created and made for the mainstream Mormons Mm -hmm. and that is it nobody else has those Gotcha. because that's who Joseph Smith Emma Smith they're the ones that they it came from them yeah so therefore they're the only ones that get to make claims to it Mm-hmm. So for the uh, AUB to come in because certain people were jealous because the other family members or other people had endowments and they didn't get them and they were je- they were literally jealous yeah. they didn't have them and so there was a lot of pressure and talking into and please brother Rulon how can we do this will we how are we going to get it and then they make ways of stealing in which they did mm-hmm. so they took like a bunch just a bunch of pairs of garments and then like no they actually um or... this is like pre-internet and such microfiche yep so they um they were able to find somebody who had had been a member of the church and like who had access to those yes things and... to the microfiche and they actually got a microfiche of the wording of the endowment so that they knew how to do all the proper wording and they they bought it off the black market Full on. Oh, man, the black market's crazy. Unfortunately, sadly, a lot of the people that were involved in this now, well, there's a couple that are still alive, have died just because of old age, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Because it was in 80, 81. This is early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, you know, older people at that time, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, so they got that. And then then they knew what the garments looked like from, there's lots of records on what the the original garment looked like, you know, from the church. That's easy to get a hold of. But it was the wording that was hard to get a hold of. So they did it. They they stole it, and then they made a so they, claim well, that they also, had a revelation by God that this was given to them. You know, it's a very interesting thing to think as well, because if you're purchasing something off of the black market, it's usually extremely expensive. And where does that money come from? Tithing. Um, so hmm. they were using members' tithing to purchase things illegally mm-hmm. off of the black market, and that then, never happens in any religious organization <laughs> anywhere. Right? <laughs> and then... It doesn't matter what affiliation you are. <laughs> and then from there you go, you can kind of abstract that out again to like, oh yeah, they, they use tithe money to purchase things off of the black market and then claiming it to be divine revelation. Mm-hmm. And then the LDS church purchases City Creek Mall to the tune of $1.6 billion. And the prophet literally cuts the ribbon. It's like, let's go shopping. <laughs> and it's like, hey, where are you City supposed Creek to be? Mall? It's right across from Temple Square. Oh, that one. Yeah. Okay. No. Oh, and, that's the one. Okay. I yeah. got it. And then like when the church is like, you know, getting up and the leaders or elders or whoever are getting up in conference and talking about all the humanitarian efforts that the church is putting in. Which they do do a lot. They yeah. do. But the City Creek Mall was more expensive than what the church has put into humanitarian efforts across the world by a few million dollars. It's like, well, well, what do you mean you're this, you know, humanitarian effort when it's only, you know, you're, the the amount of money that you're putting into something that you claim is more holy is less than the mall that you bought across the street. And then being like, well, hold on. No, the prophet said it's true. Whatever the prophet says goes, right? Mm-hmm. But the prophet said, let's go shopping. So I it must be good. <laughs> Bring me a sugar. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We need to go buy Rolexes <laughs> and like that kind of stuff. I know. It's crazy. It's really hypocritical. It's, it is. It is. And so they, so the AUB did, they, they bought the, the microfiche off the black market for several thousand dollars. And then they started doing their own temple work. They built the AUB or the endowment house in Bluffdale right? in Bluffdale yep and um they started doing their endowments and then when dad came into the group that's when things kind of got sketchy because they wanted to do work for the dead ah. okay so dad did not steal the endowment out of the temple for the first endowment they had already had it oh okay it was um it was work for the dead and how to do it well, because you, when you were a kid, you were doing work for the dead just because that was well, Grandpa's calling, right? Well, no. So Grandpa and Grandma worked at the temple, and mm-hmm. Dad did a lot of um, the baptisms for the work for the dead. Because he had already learned Spanish, right? Oh, because Dad was fluent in Spanish. Yeah. And so when they would get the lists, a lot of lists of names for the Spanish um, people that mm-hmm. they were doing work for, the deceased, then they would call Dad because Dad could do it so quickly. And then Dad would, Dad would call his kids in because he could 
dunk us fast and (laughs) (laughs) so okay so how how many times were you baptized in the name okay so let's do some context so work for the dead Uh is at least and you can correct me if i'm wrong on this um but it's basically like those who didn't have the opportunity to pursue the lds church in their you know Mm -hmm. earthly life Mm -hmm. get the opportunity according to mormon dogma to hear about it learn from it and then decide in their limbo you know purgatory stage to be led into the celestial kingdom. Yes, if and, they accept it or not. And yes. If they, and in that afterlife uh-huh. purgatory, whatever, what do yeah. you want to call it, if they say, yes, Mormonism is great, thumbs yep. up, then they through can divine pursue, providence, yes. then we say, oh, this person who passed away in, you know, 1847 mm-hmm. gets to be baptized and be, you know, mm-hmm. spiritually. Gets to have the opportunity to go to the celestial kingdom. Because spiritually, now they're a member of this yeah. great Now they can work. start growing on the other side. And yes. the way that happens is by using surrogacy. They need, yes, they, there's, they believe that there's certain proxy. ordinances, yes, by proxy, that need to be done here on earth. Yeah. Okay, so that's where Work for the Dead comes in and for so us. And so that means that you're a teenager. So they let, so the LDS church, and I don't know what the age is now, but when I was a kid, it was 12 years old, and um, you g- were given the opportunity to go in with youth groups and go to the temple and go do baptisms for the dead, and then be con- and then have the laying on the hands, the confirmation happen mm-hmm. in proxy. So you're getting baptized. Yes, yeah, so it's just like a normal baptism. But you're not using your name. You're no. using the name of the person that has passed Foreign away. in behalf of. Foreign in behalf of. Foreign in behalf of the name of the person. So how, like in a 10-minute span, how many times did you get done? Oh, good Lord, I don't know. Dad, <laughs> Dad would say, hold your breath. <laughs> and then it became a competition between me and the boys because <laughs> don't tell me I can't be as tough as a boy. And then, yeah. so it was, Jared was always too, I don't think Jared ever did it. I think he was always just too, too young. young. Yeah. And I don't think he ever wanted to. I think he, well, he never wanted to do any of that kind of stuff. But um, no, so, so we would go with our youth groups and then when, and there was even a cut one time, I think dad was the one that was going to be doing the baptisms with our youth group there. And I was just like, oh man. Now you're going to be the example. <sighs> yeah. Kelly, and, come on up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. But I was, I, there was, he, dad has a thing for eyeballs, you know, he does not like people touching their eyes at all. Like it yeah. freaks dad out. Like he seriously goes into fetal <laughs> position if you touch your eyeball and okay. flips. Okay. Yeah. So I had, um, I was in the font and um he was okay so if i what i remember about the seattle temple because i don't remember i've never been to another temple to do it there was a big window that you can see into the font you know the chairs Mm -hmm. you know so people can watch yeah and did they have like that mirror like yeah yeah the eternity mirrors on either side and everything yeah because then you can see it goes on for eternity, and that's yeah, the whole yeah, symbolic yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And so you, you have know, like the, two mirrors facing each other, yes. and then yeah, yeah. There's okay. lots of mirrors, and then of course the font with the oxen and all that kind yep. of stuff. And then those are actually like I've seen a few pictures. No, they're that beautiful, are amazingly no. built. Yeah. Oh no, they're stunning. Yeah, they really are cool. Yeah, the whole yeah, it's really cool. But all your friends are watching, <laughs> and when your dad doesn't care that your friends are watching, it was a little embarrassing a few times. And then there's and Brady taunting me through the window and trying to get me to lose focus (laughs) because you have to understand that it's a true competition between the three of us to who was going to get more names called out in one sitting with dad in the font than the other and so the longer the sibling you rivalry basically yes <laughs> it basically turned into a sibling rivalry to see who can get waterboarded for jesus better <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yes. Yes. So he would just like slap you underneath the water. So like dad, dad could go. He went so quickly. I mean, they, they, he was known to go to get the most reputation. done. Yeah. Oh, no, dad had a reputation. So like I said, whenever Hispanic names were, a list of them came in, they just called dad because dad could just get him. He could just roll through it. He could get hundreds and hundreds of names done in a day as long as there was people to do it. Wow. But the thing is, Dad, you also have to catch your breath, you know, you hold your breath, go under, stand up, wipe your face off, go back down, you know, and so. <laughs> you were just getting wham, 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 yes. wham, wham. Yes, yes, Oh, my God. And being a female. Okay so, how many, okay, so not in 10 minutes. How many in a minute? I don't, I don't know. We'd have to, you have to ask Grandpa that sometime. Okay, I'll ask him. Yeah, you'll have to ask him how many. He, he'll remember. Oh, yeah, of course he will. 
But no, so this one time in particular, so being a female, you know, it was awkward as well because you're wet and Mm -hmm. usually you need to like, there's a suction thingy that happens. And now I'm starting to feel very self-conscious because, um, you know, there's some clinging going on. (laughs) (laughs) Don't need every guy in my ward to see the clinging happening. But dad doesn't care because dad... He he's doing work for the dead. Well, and he, he's, no, dad, no, he's OCD on this one. On It was, yeah, it was work for the dead, but it wasn't all about religious right there. It was all about dad's just as competitive. <laughs> and he was like, we're going to, we're going to get this done. And my, my little girl's going to handle it. And finally I lost a contact and I was so grateful because all of a sudden I come up and I can't see. And my contact is folded in my eyeball because dad kept on pushing me down. And I, at one point opened my eye under eyes underneath the water and, and you were on the way up. I so was the on the way up. So the like current took through. my contact and flipped it in my eye. And I was like, stop dad. Just my arms are flailing and I'm playing with my eyeball and dad's flipping out because I'm playing with my eyeball and the font and, <laughs> He's losing his con- his train of thought and, you his know, flow. His, yeah, I got dad completely out of the flow. And Brady are up laughing up there. And, yeah. you know, it's just like <laughs> ridiculous. And so then after that, I was required to take my contacts out. And then I couldn't see. So you- so I just shut my eyes and just went with it. I just got plunged. <laughs> I, just, I actually got better at it after yeah. that because then I couldn't see everybody. Oh, there, there you go. Yeah, that so, helps. Yeah. <laughs> no, so work for the dead. I did a lot of work for the dead. Because we'd, we'd get called in even when it wasn't our youth group. Mm-hmm. No, dad would say, you guys are going to come do work for the dead. You're going to come do the baptisms today or whatever. There's a group coming in from Tacoma or there's a group coming in from Eastern Washington or whatever. And we're just going to throw you in so that we can get them done faster. Yeah. So they can see how it's done. <laughs> You're like a pit stop. <laughs> like a, a pit crew that's like Let super, me show you how quick. it's done. Here we go. <laughs> See, this is how you do real Mormonism. This is the real way to do bad work for the dead. Yeah. Oh, that's so crazy. And then your neck would hurt. All the confirmations that would go on, and then your because their heavy hands would sit on your head. Yeah. And then because every single time they got done taking doing a name, they take their hands off your head, and then they go back down, and it just it wore your neck out. It was exhausting. <laughs> That's something that nobody ever talks about. Well, first, I mean, this is one of the most sacrilegious conversations I think Mormons are ever going to hear if they choose to listen, because we're talking about temple ordinances publicly. Well, yeah, but I think work for the dead is not something that you're sworn to death over. I don't think. Oh, yeah, you don't have to slit your throat about it? No, or be disemboweled or any of that kind of stuff. (laughs) So some context for those two (laughs) references. (laughs) So when you go through the endowment house, it's... And you're, you're going to be able to tell a lot better than me. But my understanding is basically you make, and I don't think the church does any more. They don't. What I understand is the church quit doing um, the signs and tokens because it made people uncomfortable, which I completely understand. And so the signs and tokens are what? I think they still do the tokens, but the signs, the signs, another conversation for your father, because okay. I kind of blocked out some of the stuff because it was kind of traumatic, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, there's these, uh, you get these tokens and these signs and they mean different things. It's in not the like a token that you get like an arcade. No, it's not that kind of a token. <laughs> there's these little points of handshakes and things like that. It's very well, Masonic. Yeah. Like the, the five points of friendship and. Yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So then. Hand to hand, cheek to cheek. Knee yep, to knee. Foot knee to, foot. to knee, all that kind of yeah. stuff. It all means something in the big, long. Mm-hmm. scheme of things um and then there's the the signs that if you reveal the secrets of the temple or or you or you uh don't fulfill your covenants or you break your covenants then these are the different things that you, you know. have to do so you, uh, i mean well not literally but it's but you're metaphorically rep- slitting yes. your throat and disemboweling yourself in the name of joseph smith or in the name of god yeah or, pale yeah ale. pale ale i saw a t-shirt that had um some hops on it and it said Pele Ale with Joseph Smith's on there or oh Joseph Smith's face on there and I was like I need that t-shirt I don't know if anybody Dad, actually Dad and I always thought that that would be a really good name for a beer well I mean it makes so much sense I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's a brewery out there if there is this is our first if there isn't and then that means we're trademarking it right here and now well it's, then trademark it and then it's trademarked nobody can take it it's ours <laughs> nobody can take it <laughs> then someday um, when I grow all those hops down on our new property I'll make, a, I'll make a Pele Ale blue Pele brew ale. but Oh, okay. So, what was your question? You asked. So, like the the signs and tokens, like you 
basically make a promise to God that if you reveal the secrets of the temple ordinances that you will either literally or metaphorically. Rough, yeah, that's a rough way to A very it. truncated, yeah. like yeah. simplified idea of what the mm-hmm. those things are. So Yeah, it's yeah. kind of, it's... So you're going to have to slit your throat after this interview. Um, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> it's, already, it's already done. That happened a long time ago. Yeah. yeah, I never made those promises. So no, you never did. It. No, I made those promises apparently, and um, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> and I don't yeah. remember. I blocked it out. No, that was that was a big deal for me too. You're because we do um, prayer circle, and with each prayer circle, you um, you do these. You get in your temple garment robes mm-hmm. and stuff, and you go through a, a routine mm-hmm. of um, doing the motions of each one of these promises you made with your hands a hand motion so you're literally doing like the thumb across the throat yes and like thumb across the stomach mm-hmm. like 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 a mobster that's like threatening to kill you it's like yeah you're dead meat <laughs> <laughs> some of the guys in the circle kind of reminded me of that yeah there's a few here that kind of have that mobster feel to yeah them. yeah but being um being the type of personality I was and never, ever okay with it mm-hmm. from the day one, from when I went through the endowment house. And I even asked mom, I said, mom, is that what it's like in the temple? And she said, yeah, it was. With the play and everything. And she said, yep, it's exactly like it was. <sighs> I just had a really hard time with it. The play. And so I never, ever from the day one, I don't care if I would have been a Mormon or not at the time, going to the temple as wonderful and as beautiful as those buildings are, I would have never been okay with that. Yeah. Never, ever, because it... it it cut, to know that that's what the church did as well, that I was had this like this childish idea that the group's better, so that means this would be better, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. It was the same thing. No, it was the same. Yeah, you know, and um, and I was because okay they stole it. Because they stole it. Yeah, and mom and dad being temple workers yeah. confirmed that it was the same. Yeah, you know, and and it kind of bothered mom quite a bit too. Yeah. But anyways, so um, not the not the endowment part of it, but how they did have it the same. Anyways, so no, so yeah, so the the whole prayer circle thing, doing that, I just quit going, and Dad didn't like it because you can't go to a prayer circle without you shouldn't go to a prayer circle without your wife. Oh. And I found lots of reasons to stay home. Like, there's nobody to watch our children at seven, five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. I'm kind of hungover. I don't want to go. Yeah, I, that, that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> but pregnancy-wise and putting the veil over your face, there's a couple ladies that would just fall down in the middle of a prayer circle because they couldn't breathe. and They'd pass out? Yeah, because you have the veil over your face and then your head's down and you're in this tight little group because of the way you have to touch each other in the prayer circle. And That doesn't make me feel comfortable. No, it's not comfortable. And you, everybody has to be connected in this true order of prayer. And a couple ladies, one lady literally just fell flat on her back. And then another lady crumpled into another man that was standing near her. And I got really lightheaded a few times and mask mandate oh <laughs> maybe that's why that's what they were an, doing they were being that's prophetic. why i have such an issue with it i'm having some repressed memories <laughs> of ptsd from that's the reason why you're claustrophobic <laughs> it could very likely be i had started having problems with that when i was pregnant mormons but. were prophetic with covid they're just preparing everybody the endowment process is basically getting you prepared for the pandemic there you go let's end it there <laughs> Good place to go. (laughs) 